Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Scott Gaddis, Vice President and Global Practice Leader for Safety and Health at Intellects, about new research on EHS and ESG. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Scott Gaddis, Vice President and Global Practice Leader for Safety and Health at Intellects. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks, Jay. It's, it's great to be here with you. Great to talk to you. Um, and before we kind of jump into it, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and Intellects. Sure. Well, of course, uh, I've been in practice, uh, our practitioner, for uh, a little over 30 years. Started my career as a specialist with, uh, with GE uh, Company, and then I spent a bulk of my career uh, in, in various leadership functions with Kimberly Clark. I, I uh, ended my career as a global safety and health leader. And then uh, spent five years with Bristol-Myers Squibb in a, in a very similar assignment as the executive director of the EHS. Uh, took over a, uh, a real brief stint with a packaging company called Colveris, uh, where I added sustainability onto my title, as, uh, as I think a lot of us do. And then I've been with Intellects for almost five years. Uh, Intellects is a EHSQ software company and now uh, also an ESG software company. Uh, the reason I joined Intellects is that they were looking for uh, somebody outside of the technology space, so a practitioner that had executive leadership uh, accountability. And I, I mentor and coach. I, I work with product for vetting new uh, product enhancements or, or actually new products. I, I make sure our customer service teams can deliver the service that our clients expect. And then I, I do things like this, you know, maybe not as extensive as doing reports, but uh, but certainly help uh, marketing and and uh, and teams like that uh, communicate, you know, what our values are. Excellent. Um, so Intellects recently released a new report uh, about a survey you did on EHS and ESG. Um, what was the uh, sort of idea behind the survey? What were you hoping to accomplish with it? Yeah, I mean, certainly as a software company, or I think most of us, right, in, uh, in any space that we're concerned about how we're delivering value for clients, we're always doing market research. And, and this happened to be a research that we actually started over in Europe, um, you know, with about 750 EHS professionals. And uh, uh, I, I think it's the information for me was a little eye-opening from the perspective of, of seeing problems that were very resonant in, in the work process for a lot of the EHS and ESG uh, professionals. But, you know, we did the same thing. So we, we do market research to understand how to add best value for our clients, uh, how we work with our product team to make sure that we're staying way ahead, you know, of what the market will be demanding in, in the future. So we do it for a lot of reasons. I, I think uh, the reason that we're talking about it today is because it, it, I think it's very relevant in where we are in EHS and ESG. Uh, so that's, that's really why we did it. Um, and, and that's why probably we're having this call today, Jay. <laughs> okay. Um, so what, what would you say are the big takeaways uh, from the survey? Yeah, so really what we wanted to know, you know, maybe kind of backing up just a bit is that, you know, we were looking for what challenges, you know, organizations wrestle with, you know, what, what do we see in, in the space? Are there things that are new that we did not understand? Understanding how mature uh, the organizations are when it comes to EHS and ESG and 
and Jay, you, you've been around uh, almost as long as I have with some of this. And, you know, I, I know probably 15 years ago when I was in global leadership, uh, you know, sustainability was that new thing in, in North America. And uh, as EHS professionals, you know, we were, we were quite curious how we were going to be, uh, you know, be asked to contribute to that. Some of us by, by purely a, a data migration or, and collection point. Others of us, you know, certainly took sustainability leadership. So we wanted to know is this some of the same things that we're seeing from ESG. And then we, we wanted to understand where uh, organizations were seeing best success, you know, when we compared EHS programming and, and ESG, uh, where organizations are focusing their efforts, and then simply, you know, a better understanding of how businesses are expanding, you know, in, into the uh, ESG and EHS space. I, I think, you know, for, for me, you know, when, uh, when I started looking at the, uh, the information, you know, certainly some of it was, was not new to me, but some of it was, uh, I, I think, new to me from the perspective of, wow, we're, we're not fixing some of the problems that have been really resonant in the work system for a lot of, for a lot of years. And, and saying that, you know, we had most of our, our respondents tell us that data reporting is still quite a challenge. And I, I know it's one of the re reasons that I joined Intellect right is because it was for me you know i had data laying everywhere right i had an excel on paper you know word i mean you name it i had data you know there and then when i took over corporate leadership i had business analysts right that this was the role is to, to figure out what that information was telling me uh, implementing a culture of safety continues to be a uh, a big thrust you know for for most practitioners and we've been working on that. You know, that was certainly one of my, uh, my, my big things to do when I started in practice over 30 years ago. Incident prevention, you know, that, that certainly um, is all about returning people back to their, their families safe and, and healthy. But it's still priority uh, after all these years of a really dedicated, you know, programs. It still is our, our biggest priority when we look at safety and health and environmental programming. Um. You know, and obviously ESG has really been kind of like the big buzzword for the last few years uh, in safety. How would you say that ESG is transforming uh, the way businesses approach safety? Uh, there, there's certainly a lot involved in ESG, and I, you know, I'm wondering if like companies are underestimating everything that they need to do uh, to sort of achieve those goals. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's a very curious question, right? Because uh, when when I talk about this with with colleagues, uh, some of them, you know, are, are uh, not clueless, right? But they're, they're they don't know, you know, what path they should be on. Uh, so we're seeing a, a, a division of how this was handled. You know, when you're looking at big enterprise level companies with a lot of employees, they have have designated, you know, this. ESG person uh, to carry the program, uh, you know, forward. And, and we see that person being the, the new, you know, the old sustainability person that's been thrust into ESG. But, you know, we've got a lot of companies that also have, de have designated this because, you know, when you look at it, it it's about data and, and what are our clients, what those that we, uh, you know, we interviewed with. You know, measuring ESG performance and, and performing against those metrics that we're not quite sure what they should be, right? And then trying to decide what the return on investment is, 
it's still a, a big challenge, you know, for, for all of us. But, you know, right now, seems like a, uh, you know, a moving target that we don't have full information on, which is, again, one of the reasons that we did, you know, this marketing survey. I, I would say this, is that uh, if you're an EHS professional today or an ESC professional, uh, or both, right, if, if it's been combined, you know, really what we're trying to do now is to tell about, you know, ourselves, which is that scope one document, right? It's understanding what our carbon emissions are. It's starting to understand it a little bit further down the uh, the supply chain. So all the things that are, are really required or really being asked for uh, are things that we're probably already doing. I, I think we see uh, for ourselves this mid-level, you know, market where we don't have all of the resources that we would like. They're asking the most question, right? There, is there a technology uh, a capability advancement that we can can really uh, move into our, our work system to help that? But yeah, I mean, it, I was just on a webinar, you know, earlier this week, and and that was the question. Hey, what's the what's the big changes? What are people, you know, scared about? Right? What what really concerns them? It, it's the unknown, right? We just simply don't know everything that we probably need to know about the space. But I I would say that that's okay, you know, because everyone, you know, really in that same boat. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things uh, that the report touches on is employee engagement. Um, how important is employee engagement and what did you find in the survey uh, that, uh, you know, kind of is telling about sort of how companies are approaching that? Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly, you know, when I look back at my career, you know, I, I had four big levers in moving a management system forward, right? And, and one of those levers were really culture and engagement because I, I knew, right, if, if I could really improve culture, if I can improve engagement with the workforce, uh, I could get a lot of benefit from that. But when we asked that question on, on the survey, I think the results of, of workplace relationships, you know, are, are not clear, uh, but they're getting better. You know, when we ask questions, do you think you have this relationship uh, with your workforce? I, I think over 60%, I think it's 64% uh, said that, uh, you know, that they had good working relationships with the, uh, with the employee workforce, which I, I think is a good thing. However, you know, saying that, despite, you know, citing that they're creating these cultures, there's, there's still challenges ahead of them. You know, a majority of, of the respondents indicated that they believe that the C-suite understands the value of, of especially health and safety. But 35% said that there's a, a disjointed or inefficient process mm -hmm. that we, we kind of get into when we're trying to understand the management or reporting problems. And, you know, my, my key indicator as a professional is this, how many uh, people did I have in the organization telling me things that they're concerned about? And, uh, you know, this was, was certainly something that as I looked through my career, if I could do things like get better near miss reporting, that I converted to just simply wanting to understand uh, concerns. You know, what are you concerned about in the workplace? In the last 12 months, uh, you know, which kind of covered the survey, only 4% of incidents reported are near misses, you know, that was reported in our survey. So, you know, when you, when you kind of look at, at like what the fundamentals are and, and EHS work, understanding, right, what, uh, what our, our near misses, our concerns are, 
is really fundamental in how we, we gain uh, a lot of support in what we're trying to do. So we do see a lot of organizations that don't value it or they don't have a workforce that contributes to understanding or reporting, you know, things that we should be concerned about. So that, that's, that's certainly a, a big area that I think has to be improved. Uh, but I, I think, you know, we, we've established some relationships. I think that that's just demanded now by, by the, uh, the workforce. However, what we're doing through those engagements, there's a lot left to do. Uh, and you mentioned that you uh, started the survey in Europe uh, initially. Did, did you notice big differences between North America and, and Europe in terms of your findings? Yeah, we, we did. Um, I, I think that when we look at improving the safety of the workplace, those were kind of equal. You know, I think uh, in North America, we found, you know, 57% of our respondents told us that they needed to continue to do that. Uh, 34% uh, in, in Europe told us they needed to do the same thing. But I, I would tell you this, right, I, I've been in global leadership. Uh, Europe has, I, I think, done a much better job at at least, right, understanding their, their job tasks, uh, their job instructions from a risk perspective, you know, so they have migrated to understanding a, a kind of a quantitative approach to understanding the risks, right, that are in the workplace. So that didn't that didn't surprise me. I think our first value, you know, as EHS professionals is to, to do exactly that, is to make sure that we're improving safety compliance uh, in the workplace. So so we, we did see that. I think the biggest skew that, that I, I found in the survey is that worker well-being certainly more valued in Europe, and uh, Jay, you, you certainly understand this, it's because there's regulation, right? Uh, there's there's very specific regulation on mental health, on worker wellness in, uh, in Europe, and we've not quite got there from a regulatory standpoint in, in North America. So it purely has to be value-driven in, in North America where they, they certainly have standards and, and regulations uh, throughout Europe. When I speak in, in Europe, this is a very common topic: is, is mental health mm-hmm. and worker wellness, and um, you know it's only starting, I think, to be integrated into discussion, especially in the in the United States. So that was maybe the the biggest skew. the The other thing that I would say is almost equal. You know, so you know we had 750 respondents in Europe, over 400 or around 400 in, in North America, almost equally across the board. Implementing technology uh, and and then doing better training uh, is is a very common you know area of concern for the practitioner. Uh, so we do see it you know that technology will be uh, you know will be a, a real mandate for for delivering value you know in the future. Interesting. Um, you mentioned sort of the uh, the focus on mental health. De- definitely hearing more about it you know uh, here in in the U.S of late. Do you think there will be any kind of regulation tied around that or is that definitely kind of just going to be a European thing going forward? Yeah, I, I, I certainly wish I had a crystal ball, you know, to answer that question. You know, you know as well as I do that regulation moves very, very slowly, especially in the, in the U.S. I, I think if there was, uh, you know, was a country that will jump ahead, you know, it may be Canada. Uh, but I, I do think this, especially for large enterprise companies that do have, you know, facilities around the world, it, it has become 
a, a, a program practice, right? So mm -hmm. we understand, and especially through COVID, you know, I, I think one of the things that we understood is that we have had, you know, a, a, a mental health impact because of, of COVID and for a lot of reasons, you know, from, from everything from fear to working alone, right, for, from isolation, from, yeah. you know, there's just a lot of things to unpack there that we certainly don't have, have you know, time to do. But I, I think that there is value for understanding whole person health, right, and and making sure that the mentally our our, our folks are are you know prepared to to do the work we're asking them to do. I also think this, right, that it's effective culture and engagement. I, I was talking with several colleagues at a user conference that we we had, and uh, they've noticed you know a really kind of a, a, a backslide in culture and how they're able to engage their employees. Hmm. And some of it's purely because you know they didn't have employees to engage with. You know we we sent those employees home or we isolated them, right? So what was a two-person task, you know, in the past has now become a one-person task. So you know for a lot of reasons, um, you know, we, we've seen this, but it certainly has affected culture. Uh, I, I was talking with uh, with a colleague that really ran, you know, a very large organization, and he thought he was back, you know, he, he backslid about five to seven years in, in developing the culture that he desires. Wow. And I'm hearing that more and more. And so, so certainly mental health is, should be a point of action, you know, for, for organizations. Um, and this may not have been touched on in the survey, but I was wondering what your, your thoughts are on sort of the generational differences in attitudes about safety. I mean, certainly there's a lot more, uh, you know, younger uh, workers coming into the workforce now. And you still got certainly, you know, baby boomers who, you know, have been around for 30 or 30 more, 30 or plus years, uh, you know, still kind of hanging on. Are, are you noticing differences sort of in how they kind of, uh, yeah. feel about safety and how they, you know, how they, you know, I don't know if it's commitment to, to safety or, you know, or to a, a company or whatever. What are you, what are you seeing there? Yeah, I, I can give you some general thoughts on that because it, it's certainly something that impacts us from, from a technology view. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I often talk about, you know, these two points when I, when I'm talking about, you know, uh, technology in, in the space and how it's impacting, um, uh, you know, organizations. The first I, I would say is that, yeah, we, we've seen some demographic generational changes in the workplace. Uh, we, we're, we, you know, I would have told you pre-pandemic uh, that we were seeing two, dis, two big groups, right, in the own workplace. Those that stayed after the financial downturn in 2008, right? So uh, it, it, it was uncommon when I started uh, in EHS to see somebody that was over 65 in the workforce. Now that's very common, right? So we, we saw those that were sticking around. Uh, the, the, the problem with that, right, is, is that they learn differently, they have different approaches to their work, right? And then when you compare that to Gen Z that is entering the workforce, they also learn differently. Uh, they also have different expectations. They're not quite as loyal to the organization. Right, so we see a lot of, of job changes with uh, with the younger workforce. So there's some demographic right differences, and and for the practitioner, you know, when I think about this, how how do I build relationships? How do I drive culture? How do I train and build capability and skills 
right, in, in, in that, those particular different sets of people. I will say that a lot of those folks have, have left the workforce. So older uh, people in the workforce, they, they frankly got a little tired, right, through the pandemic, and a lot of them have, have retired. So we are seeing a little bit of that migration. I, I would also say this, is that uh, there's what we, what we now refer to this millennial down generation. We refer to them as digital natives, right? So they right. grew up with technology in, in their hands. And, you know, even me, right, I'm a digital immigrant. So everything that I've learned <laughs> about technology has come because I have, have tried to study it, right? I've, mm-hmm. I've listened to my, my kids and my grandkids, right, tell me things to do on a, uh, on a mobile device. So, so saying that is that we, we now have this, this new challenge in front of us is that, you know, younger generations of workers, they want to get information through a smartphone, through a tablet, they want it to be concise. You know, I, I've been talking about micro learning for, you know, a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And if you were to ask me, you know, I, I love the classroom, love being in, in, in class with people training. And I was spending two or three or four hours doing things like lockout tag out training. Right. Well, some of those things are still fine, but you better support that with what we call micro learning. Right. We've got to deliver small chunks of information through a, a mobile device. And it, it is one of the big, uh, you know, challenges that we have and something, you know, intellects we're trying to deliver value, you know, by, by putting our software and our platform on a mobile phone. So you have access to it on the front line. Why? It, it's because it's being demanded, you know, by the market. It, if you were to, to look at me 10 years ago, I had an EHS team and we had a, a software platform, but it was in our office. Desktop. Right now, the demand is to make sure that digital native uh, personnel are getting the information that they need. You know, I, I I kind of always coin this, and this is a bad way to maybe explain it, but it's almost like Twitter, right? So we we have to to be more in line with Twitter and how Facebook works and how Instagram is working. Everything's visual. It's very concise. It's it's very complete, right? And then they can can gobble it up when they want to and go back to work, right? So those are some, some big differences that I see. I, I think relationship building, uh, it, it's just going to depend on, right, where you put value in, in the workforce and how you carry about projects that are valued on both extremes, right, of those demographics that you have. Yeah, I think, you know, with the micro learning, definitely, I, I think it's a a case of shorter, shorter attention spans, too. And it's not just with the younger folks i think everybody's got them now um you know just because of technology and the way information is delivered so uh you know kind of yeah you're not going to get people to sit for you know three four hours and and you know pay really good attention to your training um and it gets a lot more challenging now so yeah i think the micro learning really makes sense you know kind of dishing i I was i was yeah i was i was looking at research and um you know when when i started right um we, we often worked on a rule that can you keep it under a 30 minutes, right? And you got to be a really effective storyteller to even do that, right? So if you're looking back in the 90s, we thought we had about 30 minutes to deliver value, you know, through content. And you really had to be effective to even do that, you know. And now I, I just read a research report from Deloitte. And, uh, you know, they basically said you get about two minutes, you know, at the, at, at, at the furthest end, right, uh, to – to really deliver content. 
Now, certainly, if you're an effective storyteller, right, if you can make things interesting, you do have more than that. However, um, you know, younger generations of workers, this is how they're living, right? Everything is through a, a mobile device. And that's how they've learned or adapted to getting things that they feel that are important. So it, it's a big challenge. And uh, you know, I, I've been talking about microlearning for several years now. Uh, some of, of my colleagues, right, that have been around a while, you know, they, they don't like the idea, right, of not doing uh, classroom training. And I, I, I think that that's fair. I, I think in, especially in EHS and ESG work, there will always be a place for macro, you know, level training in the classroom. However, and I, I tell it like this, is that, you know, just kind of think about how you do lockout, tagout training. And then supporting that training with, do you understand lock color? Do you understand what this tag is supposed to look like? Do you understand, right, what a, uh, you know, what a pressure valve is and how it should be locked out, right? There's so much that we can do because of technology to assist us in making sure that the message is heard. So I, I think it's a good thing. And even when I was, was very young in practice, I was doing micro level learning. I was going around with my Polaroid camera, right, taking pictures of bad things mm-hmm. and putting them on a bulletin board saying, well, this is bad and this is what good looks like, right? So we've done it. I think now it's, it's just embracing technology as a delivery mechanism for getting much better. So I, I think it's a good thing. You know, we just got to really overcome our own fear, right, um, and, and deliver it, you know, through technology. Big yeah. help. Big help. And it's probably not just one way, right? I mean, it's probably like multiple ways no. to deliver the information, uh, you know. So it's not just, uh, you know, a, yeah. a short thing. It's not just e-learning. It's not just, you know, having a, you know, a ta- you know, a, a lunch, ta- lunch table, lunch talk or whatever. Um, you know, it's probably a combination no. of all three. It, it is. I, I think uh, we we ask some questions specific to technology, and and that's really what we 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 understood is that technology is not an answer, right, for every problem that we have. And I uh, I often you know talk to, again to colleagues, to people in the field that really put a lot of of uh, a focus on things like predictive analytics, and you know I always caution them. You know I think that. You know, especially on safety and health, it's still a people business, right? So we should look at technology as helping us, right, as assisting us do our work better. So things like, you know, uh, training management, you know, that's that's a real big uh, part of, of being able to use technology correctly. You know, we don't need to use technology for everything, quote, training. However, we should look at how we can use technology differently to, to enhance you know, what we're trying to do. The same thing, you know, when, when we ask the question, especially around, you know, technology, I would say, you know, over 34% told us that they really needed technology and software to benefit them what they're trying to do with their with their work process. And then when we ask another question, over half of them. So I think it was almost 60% said we're just drowning because we're using all of these separate systems. And that's where I was. You know, yeah. and, and Jay, probably where you were at one time, is that we just had information laying everywhere. Yeah. And it was very difficult for us to understand it uh, in a way to make the decision as fast as we wanted to make it. So, you know, it was easier for me when I was at a plant level. You know, I, I was always very resonant with what was going on in that facility. 
But when I took over 161 facilities, right, with an organization, it became almost unbearable, right, trying to figure out what was going on. And then by the time that I, I could make that decision, well, it was too late, right? So, so you know, we're still seeing that. Uh, and then, you know, I would say, you know, maybe to answer your question, you know, even when we think about training, you know, what we're trying to do in, in preparing things, very time-consuming things, right? We're, we've always tried to work within an EHS team or a training organization internally, right? So we've not shared a tremendous amount of this work. That's certainly where technology helps us. And then extracting information so we can understand it, you know, just a big, huge part of us being able to make the correct decision faster, more efficient, right? So there's a lot of things there to, I think, unpack, but certainly I think there's some advantages. Yeah, definitely. Well, the survey is called Big Ambitions, Complex Data, Limited Visibility, How Today's Health and Safety and ESG Professionals are Dealing with Evolving Challenges. You can find it at intellects.com. Scott Gaddis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. Great being with you. That wraps up episode 136 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time. Music.